As we uh, bring this section of 2 Corinthians to a close, chapters 8 and 9, where Paul is talking about the offering being taken for the saints in Jerusalem, I, I struggle to narrow down what to say by way of a final introduction to this final sermon. As I thought about that this week, the thing that kept coming back to my mind is how thankful I am. I am thankful uh, for Meadowview Baptist Church. And that Meadowview Baptist Church is a giving church. A church that displays um, the kindness and the goodness of the Lord in the way that you give to others. I'm thankful for the generosity of others that uh, historically we're partaking from today. I, we've mentioned multiple times this is a building that none of us paid for. Others gave money. Others gave their time and their resources so that we might be able to meet here today. I'm thankful for my, my parents and the example that they set to me for so many years of faithfully giving to the Lord, faithfully giving uh, to the church, faithfully giving to the needs of others as it would arise in our own family, in our community. They set an example for me and my siblings of generosity and sacrifice. And, and truthfully, we, we will never know this side of eternity how God intends to use the money, the time, and the resources that we pour into His kingdom work. The, the, the interest on that will be paid out for all of eternity as we come to grips with this. And as I, as I was thinking about that, I, I reflected on being in my church, watching mom and dad put money in the offering plate, and, and David Hamilton would get up and sing every once in a while this song by Ray Bolts. If you know the life of Ray Bolts, he, he ended tragically and struggled much in his latter years of his life, but he wrote a song called Thank You. How many of you are familiar with that song, Thank You? And it's, thank you for giving to the Lord, because I am a life that was changed. And it begins with the, the chorus of, I dreamed I went to heaven, and you were there with me. We walked on the streets of gold, beyond the crystal sea. Uh, and then somebody comes up and calls your name. I'm not giving you all of the lyrics here. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. And I could sing it for you, but I'm not going to do that either. That would take a little extra long. Uh, but but it, it, it's, the, it's a person who comes up and says, you won't remember my name, but you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one week when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus into my heart, thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. And then another one stood before and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church, his pictures made you cry, you didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. We will not know until eternity what God does with the money we give, with the time we give, with the resources that we give to his kingdom work. All that we've talked about thus far, the, the characteristics of the giver, the, the uh, motivation of the giver, the integrity of the giver culminates in this final section as Paul shares the harvest of the giver, the harvest of the disciple. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, follow along as I read beginning of verse 6. The point is this, right? Let's get to the point, Paul says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided or purposed in his heart, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that is upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father, we plead with you now. We have enjoyed being reminded of who you are, singing praises to you. But we plead with you now that you would, by your word, by your spirit, get to our hearts. Reveal the thoughts and the intents. Lord, if we need to be led to repentance today, lead us to repentance. If we need to be led to greater praise and rejoicing today, lead us to greater praise and rejoicing. We ask you to accomplish all that you desire to accomplish now as we consider your truth, your character from your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin with the principles of giving, and I thought I could head this up. More principles of giving since we covered a lot of those principles back in chapter 8 verses 1 through 5, just a few weeks ago. I want to remind you of those principles of giving from chapter 8. Give motivated by grace. This is where Paul is sharing the example of the Macedonian church to the Corinthians and saying, this is how they gave and this is how you should give. And we should take that and say, okay, that's how we should give too. We should give motivated by grace. Give in difficult circumstances. Giving joyfully, giving with generosity, giving proportionately and sacrificially, giving voluntarily, and then finally giving in worship. Paul says they didn't just give of their money. First, they gave of themselves. They offered themselves to God, and the money and the time and the resources followed. Well, in today's verses, we do find some reminders, but also some additional encouragement. First, we're introduced to this, the law of the harvest. This is where Paul says, this is the point. See what he says again there in verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now you don't have to be a farmer or a, or a green thumb gardener to make sense of this particular law that we find in nature. The more seed you plant, the greater the harvest you will eventually reap. We see this all through Scripture. Look at these Proverbs with me that we'll click through here. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 11. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. 
Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And then Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6, give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. This is the law of harvest that we see in the Scriptures. No farmer, listen to these words by Garland. I believe I have this quote in the bulletin. If I don't, I didn't have room. But no farmer considers sowing as a loss of seed because the harvest will provide the seed for the next season. That kind of blew my mind when I read it. He goes on. Consequently, no sower begrudges the seed that he casts on the ground or tries to scrimp by with sowing as little as possible. He willingly sows all that he can and he trusts that God will bless the sowing with a bountiful harvest. If the farmer, for some reason, stints on the sowing, he will cheat himself of that harvest. The more he sows, the greater the harvest he will reap, and the more he will have for sowing for the next harvest. And so God uses this this law of nature, and he applies it to our giving. The more one generously gives, the more God generously gives back to them. I've heard many a wise older saint say it this way, you can't outgive God. The second principle we find is this. It's a call to willful giving. If you remember Paul's plea there in verse 5 of chapter 9, leading into our section, he says, so that it may be ready, the gift may be ready, a willing gift and not an exaction. So let me, let me share with you four truths about giving from this verse. Giving is a personal decision of the heart. Each one must give as he has decided or purposed in his Heart is what Paul instructs. Uh, Giving is not meant to be an impulsive decision. In other words, there are opportunities for spontaneity in giving. There are things that come up in someone else's life or or a circumstance in a community where you are called upon to give with, with spontaneous generosity. But what Paul's talking about here is not spontaneous giving. It's giving that is thoughtful. It's purposed. It's planned. Second, giving is not to be reluctant. Paul uses an interesting word here in the Greek. It carries the idea of something that's, that's sorrowful, something that's painful and grievous. That's not meant to be the posture in our giving. It, 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 that's, not, that's not giving willfully. Giving is not, third, to be an exaction. It's not under compulsion. I hope you understand, and I hope this has been clear as we've worked through these texts. We are not trying to guilt you or manipulate you into giving. If that was our objective, then we are, 
we are tempting you to sin, right? We're tempting you to give under compulsion, and, and your elders are not interested in tempting you to sin. That's not the stance we take. Rather, our goal is the same as Paul's go, goal, to share with you the grace of God and then let that grace, as you understand it, motivate you to willingly, to sacrificially give. Fourth, giving is to be cheerful. Cheerful. The Greek word here is hilaros. You might understand that is where we get our word hilarious from. It's the idea of being joyful. It's the idea of being happy when we give. Uh, if, if we find our giving not to be joyful or happy, then something needs to be adjusted in our heart. Something is off. Something else is ruling me other than the gracious, giving, merciful Jesus Christ. Something else is in control. But did you notice the incredible statement about God's love? God loves the cheerful giver. I often move right by that. Just be a cheerful giver, but it says God loves a cheerful giver. We know from Scripture that God has a special love for His own. Having loved them who were his own, he loved them to the end, it says in John 13. 1 John 4.16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. But here it seems Paul is honing in on a specific and a special love God shows to those who cheerfully, who joyfully give. God loves this cheerful giver. They give of themselves their resources for the glory of God and for the good of others. And Paul immediately then follows up these principles and this promise of God's love with a promise of God's provision. Notice again verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. This emphatic promise is that God's grace will abound towards those who give. In fact, Paul resorts to hyperbole to really drive this, this promise home. He, he uses this particular Greek word, pas, that means each or every or all. He uses it five times in this one verse. Check it out again. We'll read through it one more time here. Uh, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. The promise is this. God's gracious giving has no limits. It's immeasurable. There's no bad. Can you, can you put limits on God's grace? Do you know where the edge exists? No. We've never pushed it that far. We, we do not know the limits of God's grace. It's off the scale. Mm. When we give, we're placing our faith in God's grace to refill our account. We're placing our trust in the power and the sovereignty of God to use the resources of the world to resupply us. 
We're trusting in God's faithfulness to keep the promises that He's made to us, like Matthew chapter 6. I take care of the birds, I'll take care of you. I take care of the fields, I'll take care of you. You just seek first my kingdom. We're trusting in His faithfulness. Why? Giving is always a matter of faith. Trusting that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, we will abound in every good work. Increase our faith. We need an increase of faith. Verse 9. Paul supports this promise. He quotes Psalm, 119, or Psalm 112 in verse 9. He says, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures Forever. In other words, Corinthians and, and, and Meadowview Baptist, Yahweh has a perfect record of providing for His own. This is why, why Paul could say without hesitation to the Philippians, and my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. That's why David would write in Psalm 37, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Did you know the purpose of the provision? Why does he provide? Verse 8, he says, so that. He says, I'm providing for you so that you may abound in every good work. And then again, notice verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower, that's us, and bread for food, God will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase in what? harvest of righteousness the reason god supplies us and then gives back to us is not so that we can selfishly consume and stockpile his blessings there are those who teach this false doctrine of prosperity beware because it appeals to the flesh very much so they say give give to god and he'll repay you and you can buy that luxury car you've always wanted. You can go on the lavish vacation you always wanted. That's not what Paul teaches here or anywhere else. Also should probably interject here that that, that false doctrine also teaches that there's no place for suffering, right? That's what this whole passage is about. There are saints suffering in Jerusalem. They're saints. They're followers of Jesus. They're not suffering because of their sin. They're suffering. And, and Paul is calling on the Corinthians and the Macedonians and others who are not in that same present state of suffering to supply. It goes back to that there must be equality amongst, and God is using these churches. Instead, God supplies them, the Corinthians, so that they will have an abundance for every good deed. The Lord will fully supply cheerful givers with what they need to use for what is good to the honor of the Lord. And notice what MacArthur goes on to write here. He constantly replenishes what they expend so the cycle of giving and ministering to others can continue. Generous givers are the people whose lives are most full of righteous deeds. You understand what's happening? God gives me an abundance and I give it and then God resupplies that abundance, and I give it. And then He resupplies that abundance, and I give it. And righteousness is being sent forth into the world. His kingdom is being advanced. 
My mind doesn't think that way, though. It needs renewed every day. God entrusts me with more resources, so I think, oh, well, now I can afford a bigger streaming package. Or I can stockpile a little bit more in my savings just in case the recession does come full on and strong. And eggs are $8 instead of $5 or something like that. But a renewed mind would think this, oh, oh, now I can help my neighbor with their medical bills. Or now maybe I can buy an extra square foot every month or every other month of the new building. What are we doing with the blessings He has entrusted to us? And if cheerful giving and being a part of God's kingdom work isn't blessing enough, Paul actually shares now this ripple effect of blessings. The harvest, the produce of giving. The produce of giving really starts in verse 10. Notice Paul references the work accomplished via our money is righteousness. Righteousness is accomplished. Right is done in the world. And I think we could all agree we need more right in the world. We need more righteousness. We give and it accomplishes that righteousness both in us and then through us as God's purposes are accomplished. You give. And your money just recently, a couple of times over the last week, has been used to pay water bills for families in our community who had their water shut off so that their elementary school kids and middle school kids could get up and take a shower before they go to school. Righteousness is being accomplished in that. You give and your money is used to buy a resource, a book for a couple struggling, and so it helps them to better understand what God desires for them in their life. Righteousness is being accomplished. By the way, verse 10 is a reference taken from Hosea 10, 12. We're not going to take the time, but I would encourage you, check that verse out. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. But now notice verse 11. It says, we will be enriched. Enriched in every way. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, we will be enriched. This is another ripple. Right? Not only is righteousness accomplished, but, but we ourselves are enriched. That's a gift, isn't it? And you know that. You know that feeling of enrichment, don't you? It feels good to give. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not necessarily a prideful thing. It's just the, the reality. You are, you are now reaping what you have sown, and you're enriched mentally and emotionally and spiritually when you give for the benefit of another person. But ultimately, our giving results in this. Thanksgiving to God. Friends, this is the noblest of all goals, isn't it? Glory to God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And one of the ripples of our giving, one of the things that it produces is thanksgiving to God. More people are thankful to God. Verse 12, Paul builds on this point, stating that your funds are not only helping supply needs of the suffering saints, but the greater result is an overflow. He gets emphatic again, an overflow of thanksgiving 
to God. As those sufferers in Jerusalem are cared for and they're able to buy the food that they need and the supplies that they need, they will in turn say, thank you, God, for what you've supplied for me, for answering the prayers that we've prayed. My hope is that as we, as we pay utility bills for people, as we buy diapers and groceries and do some of the things that we do, that those people will say, thank you, God. I don't care if they thank us. I want to hear them say, thank you, God, and acknowledge him and acknowledge his goodness. It's reiterated in verse 13 again. They'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. This leads to an important point. I don't want us to miss this. Submission to the gospel results in generosity. It's a critical point that we've made throughout these chapters multiple times, and it just summarized this, Christians give. I think we were bold enough to say that if somebody says, I'm a Christian, and they're not a giver, they they have no concern for others, then we question their Christianity. It's not the fruit of somebody who has the Spirit of Christ inside of them. When we confess to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that He was rich, but for our sakes became poor so that we through His poverty might become rich. Or that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we confess that that is the gospel that we believe, those truths motivate us to be submissive and to give. To give of ourselves as our Savior is given to us. We can't escape that reality. Following the example of Jesus. It's the outcome of the gospel at work in our lives. And so... Let me make this point one more time. One ripple is that when we are submissive, others give thanks to God. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 5. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Let your light shine before men. Why, Jesus? So that they may see your good works and in turn glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's what we want to see accomplished in the world around us. Verse 14 gives us another ripple. Our giving encourages fellowship. Paul says this, they long for you and they pray for you. When the Corinthians would would give to the suffering saints in Jerusalem, those saints would, would have an immediate connection with them and there would be a longing to know them more. There would be prayers that would now be prayed. When we give to the manna feeding center in Fiji, What are we doing? We're building a relationship with them. When we give uh, to their Iwana clubs there in Fiji, which is another unique connection that we've been able to make uh, through the church there in Latoka, what are we doing? We're building relationships. It's not just one way where we're praying for them and we're giving to them. They're also praying for us. They're keeping us updated on what God's doing. The same is true with any of our missions partners as we give to those missions partners. It's not just a one-way transaction. I have no doubt that there are churches in Ethiopia and Brazil and other places that pray for us on the regular. That's a beautiful thing. 
We want to pray for them. We want to pray for those missions partners. But we also know that we're building these relationships and they're praying for us. Paul says this is a benefit. And so as God gives to us, we give to others. We give to his causes. It's like throwing a rock in the water. It just ripples and ripples and ripples and the effects are blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Our faith is exercised. Righteousness is accomplished. We're enriched in every way. Others are giving thanks to God, glorifying Him. Friendships are established. And so finally, unable to to contain his joy like like a teapot screeching under the pressure, Paul closes with this exclamation, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. If, there's, if there was a bold feature, you know, multiple uh, um, punctuations that we could put behind this, we would do it here. Paul explodes, unable to describe the gift that God has given to us. So he makes up a word to describe how indescribable the gift is. The word that he uses is a word that you don't see in the Greek language up to this point in anything outside of the Bible or in the Bible. Paul makes something up to describe something indescribable. So what is this unspeakable, inexpressible, indescribable gift that Paul's thankful for? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. God so loved the world that he gave His only begotten Son. Romans 8, He who did not spare His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. 1 John 4, In this the love of God was manifested among us that God sent His only Son into the world. He has given us Jesus. Lo and Nida word it this way. Let us thank God for His gift which cannot be described with words. All throughout these two chapters, Paul has been talking about money and, and offerings and commitments, but the undercurrent of grace and generosity have been flowing and driving the conversation. And every once in a while, as we work through these, that'll pop up there and he'll, he'll interject Jesus and talk about the one who was rich but became poor so that we in our poverty might become rich. But, but here at the conclusion, it just bursts forth. The undercurrent comes through and it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He concludes with a word of thanks. Thank you, God, for the indescribable gift of Jesus. May He motivate us to give. Do you know Jesus? Do you know of His generosity? Do you know of His grace? Do you know of the sacrifice that He made for you? For you. Do you know that He is worth selling everything you have so that you might attain Him? 
He's a gift that's indescribable and unmeasurable. Jesus' followers, if you're here today, do you need to know Him better? Sometimes I, I lazily, maybe pridefully, think I have a pretty good grasp on the gift that is Jesus. Yeah, I know enough. And then Paul. Paul, right? He says, I don't even have the words to describe how incredible this gift is. As we dive deeper into knowing Christ, our desire to give so that others may know Him grows and continues to grow. We want to know Him so that we might make Him known. Are you a cheerful giver? Do you give trusting and believing that God will supply your needs? Do you give in faith believing that God will use those funds to glorify Himself? Will you today commit or submit to use the word we find in the text to use the blessings the Lord entrusts to you for His glory? And for the good of others. I've been convicted of my selfishness. Even more so, been convicted of my lack of faith in God's provision. My lack of participation in His blessing distribution plan that He involves us in. Today, if you need to repent of anything, it doesn't have to be on these lines, but maybe it is. We're going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. We're going to have a time of response. If you need to pray with somebody, we'll have people available to pray with you right over here in our prayer room. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you need to know the Lord, you don't know of His grace, you, you need to learn more about His generosity and giving His life for you, giving of His righteousness for you, uh, we want to take you to God's Word and we want to show you this inexpressible gift that is Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads now and in the silence in this moment, I just want to challenge you. Be humble. Be honest. If you need to pray with somebody, if you need to be confessional with somebody, now is a great opportunity to be confessional. Whatever you do, just don't ignore what it is the Lord desires to do in your life. Father, if we do nothing else today, we want to say thank you for the inexpressible gift of Jesus. He's why we're here. He's carried us to this table, lame, broken, sinful, and he's made us whole. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you to God for those in our lives who have given. It might have been parents or grandparents or generations ago, people who gave so that the gospel might go forth. And Lord, we have benefited from their giving. 
We've benefited from their, their sowing that is reaped a harvest and more sowing that is reaped a harvest. And God, we want to be a part of that. For our own family's sake, for our own community, for future generations, God, we want to be a part of sowing the seeds of righteousness so that we might reap its harvest. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. Thank you for enabling us to be a part of it. Thank you for motivating us through your spirit to be a part of it. God, we're grateful for you. Grateful that you gave. Jesus, grateful that you came. Gave of yourself for us. Help us now to follow you in faithfulness. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, before I pray and we transition into our time of communion, uh, where Chuck is going to lead us in a celebration of this indescribable gift that is Jesus, I, I want to share with you a conclusion uh, to these chapters. Uh, history reveals how the Corinthians responded to Paul's plea. They did respond. Uh, chapters 8 and 9, where we've been, he's, he's encouraging them to give, and sometime after 2 Corinthians was delivered, Paul showed up as he said he would at Corinth. He planned to do so. He remained there about three months. You can read about this in Acts chapter 20. During that time, he actually penned the incredible letter to the Romans while he is there in Corinth. In that letter to the Romans, Paul reveals that the Corinthians had responded positively concerning this collection. So I want to read to you from Romans chapter 15. Here's what Paul writes about the Corinthians. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. I'm taking the offering. We're, we're about to leave. For Macedonia and Acacia, that is the Corinthians, have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual things they are indebted to minister to them also in the material things. Paul says, they did it. They followed through. 